0: Mojave Beach Productions
1: Mojave Beach Productions and the Voice of Halana bring you stories of faith and inspiration made possible by the Forgiveness Foundation International.
0: encounters episode 1
1: well Jack here we are again we talked about angels in evidence last time we did this and now we're going to talk about spiritual encounters all right you've had a lot of spiritual encounters over the years haven't you yes huh there are those you told me about and I bet you there's some you haven't told me about I've had a lot of spiritual encounters over the years I do want us to talk about the number of ways that people do communicate with their loved ones on the other side, without a Ouija board or a psychic or any outside help. Let me start telling everybody how this all began. It began because my son, Dean, died 27 years old. And we're not gonna go into how and all of that right now. I have a book called Dear Dean, Love, Mom, and I hope you're nice enough to go buy it and read it. It's a wonderful book. Thank you. But what happened was right after Dean died, I had decided to take his insurance money and go around the country and give screenwriting workshops in his memory because he wanted to be a screenwriter and a filmmaker. So before even our first workshop, which was going to be in Austin, Texas, the phone rang one afternoon and I answered it. And i'm standing in my home office now my home office has a window that looks out onto the driveway on the other side of the window is about four feet of hydrangeas and some beautiful flowers and then you're right at the driveway so driveway is not that far from where i'm standing at my desk so the phone rings and i answer it and it's a woman who said are you esther and i said yes and she started crying And she said, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Okay. She said, but I saw your name in a magazine. Well, I'm from Florida, and they had done a little story about the fact I was going to be doing workshops in a Florida magazine. I hadn't seen it. I just heard they were going to do it. So anyway, she's calling. She had seen it. And she said, when I saw your name, I don't know why, but I started shaking and crying. And this isn't like me. She said, I'm a businesswoman. And, and I'm not crazy, but I began to shake and cry. And I thought, my gosh, why am I reacting that way to this woman's name? So I had to look you up, and I had to call you and find out if you have any ideas. And she told me her name, and that didn't ring a bell. And no, we didn't know each other. As she's telling me, she said, well, I'm not thinking really well anyway right now my son, and as I recall, I think she said he was 23, but he was a young man, her son had just committed suicide. And she told me the circumstances. And she said, he was such a sweet young man, he thought he disappointed me. That's why he killed himself. And he didn't disappoint me. He could never disappoint me. Why is she saying this? And I'm standing in front of this window. I just... I'm listening to her, but I happen to glance up, and on the other side of the glass, standing, looking in, at the, at the edge of the driveway, right on the other side of the flowers, which puts them no more than four or five feet away from me, there is my son, Dean, and he is as alive, as three-dimensional as any human being can get. Standing beside him is a young man I had never seen before, and they looked like they were buddies because the young man was standing with his left elbow up on Dean's right shoulder. And they were both grinning and the young man had very deep dimples. And they're looking at me and just like, hi there. I I really can't even tell you how shocked I was, but it dawned on me, I'll bet that is this woman's son. And so I said to her, my son, is in my driveway and she said what because I had just told her that I understood about her grief for her son because my son had just died too now I'm telling her he's in my driveway and I said actually there's a young man with him may I describe him to you and she said yes and I said well he has shoulder length blondish brown hair and it looks natural curly but it's very neat it comes down to his collar And I said he has very deep dimples and he has the largest eyes, and from here they look hazel. He has on a shirt that has stripes on it and there is something on the pocket, but it's not an alligator. There's an emblem on the pocket and it's aqua. And he has on tennis shoes and jeans. And she said, my God, that's my son. And that's what he was wearing when he died. Well, at that moment, when she said that, the boy simply disappeared. So whatever their message was, they delivered it and they left. I don't remember what the lady and I said after that, but I was so stunned and so surprised that I have to believe that what Dean and the young man, uh, as I recall, his name was Andrew Andy, and I think what they're saying is, tell her, tell her that life and love are eternal. We're right here, we're both fine. Tell her, mom. And it makes perfect sense if you wanna analyze it as to why they came to me rather than coming individually like Dee to me and Andy to his mother, because I know I even now I find it hard to believe. And had I not had her to confirm that that's her son, I would probably still say that that's a mother's delusional wish. You wow. Want to, yeah. So that's the only thing I can understand about it. So I started on a quest then. I began to hear other people's stories. They began to come to me out of everywhere, just as the woman did. And I, for 13 years, I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do with all of their stories. Then I realized I was supposed to write a book and give them Dean's message that life and love are eternal. But one thing I wanted to to talk about that I think is amazing, we are sort of programmed to believe that if you commit suicide, that you're just dead and gone. You are in hell. There is no hope for you. And I think Dean and Andy's message was very clear. Life and love are eternal. What do you make of that?
0: Well, I totally agree with that. and. You know, my son Austin committed suicide when he was a week away from being 16 years old. And uh, he was going through a whole lot of different stuff. But the night of the, the day he committed suicide, we had all gathered, because I was living in Topeka at the time and had a house in Kansas City. My, you know, my wife and kids were living down there. So I went down there and we were all sleeping on the living room floor together. And all of a sudden, my wife sat up in the middle of the night and looked over at one of the the doorway to the kitchen, I think it was, and she started talking to Austin. She saw him,
2: Mm.
0: and he was standing there talking to her. I didn't see him, I didn't hear him, but I witnessed her talking to him, and I knew deep inside that she was actually seeing and talking with Austin and communicating with him.
1: What do you think the point was? What what kind of things do you think he was saying?
0: what he, said, what he said was how sorry he was that he committed suicide. He had no idea that it was going to upset us and hurt us as much as it did. And on the other side, he was, he was watching us mourn him, his loss and his death. And he was just really sad and that he had made us all miss him and be sad. And, and, and he, he wanted us to know that he still was still alive.
1: So it's sort of the same message that Andy yeah. was giving. He still exists. Tell my mom. Yeah. Well,
0: mm-hmm. he told her personally, but he let her know that he was in the spirit world, but he still was Austin. He still existed as a person.
1: Had you ever had anything, any encounters like that before with anybody or anything?
0: I remember stories when I was growing up of my, my mother telling me when her mother was dying that... She looked up and started talking to her brother who had died, but she was the only one in the room who could see him. But she was talking to him and communicating with him, and everybody else was just watching her talk to.
1: Were they convinced that she was actually seeing him? Yes. Or think that she's just being delusional. Yes.
0: No. They they were convinced he was seeing him because mm-hmm. he he was. She was talking to him about family things and personal things, mm-hmm. and he apparently had come to be there with her to help her transcend and go to the other side. Mm. And that was just before she died when that happened.
1: How did how did Dana your wife take seeing Austin and having that conversation with him? Was it traumatic for her was she relieved? What was her reaction?
0: Uh happy, you know, when she looked and she saw him and she she just said Austin like she was really happy to mm. see him. Uh-huh. And she knew he was there to tell her, give her this message, mm-hmm. you know, because he wanted her to know that he was okay.
1: Did you ever see him yourself?
0: No, well, I never saw him, but I was going every weekend down to Kansas City and-
1: Kind he, of explain, you were, you had a radio show here in Topeka.
0: Yes, I worked in Topeka. Right, and, and, you, I was, and you were
1: going home on weekends. I was going home
0: on weekends. And Austin had a room in the basement with a stereo that he had hooked up my PA speakers to. I had a big PA that I used to do DJ gigs. And he had hooked up his stereo to play music and he could rattle the house, he could shake the house. (laughs) He died on a Saturday. The next Saturday I was there, Saturday night, the stereo came on booming in the middle of the night at four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning.
1: From his room.
0: From his room. And it, it did that every weekend I was there for about six months.
1: And wasn't there a place where you told me you actually unplugged the thing? I
0: did, because it was starting to bug
1: me. (laughs) When did it stop?
0: Well, I actually unplugged my PA from his stereo, so his stereo would still come on, but with just the normal speakers. But there was one point in time, it was about a year later, for some reason, it made me mad, maybe because it kept waking me up in the middle of the night. But I actually went down to his room, and I opened the door, and I yelled at him, and I said, Austin, please stop playing your music at four o'clock in the morning.
1: And did it stop? It did. That was the end? It never came on again at four o'clock in the morning?
0: I would hear, because what I did, I completely dismantled his stereo. I completely unplugged it and everything Mm -hmm. else.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: But it was weird, because I would hear sometimes in the middle of the night, I would hear sound like a... His music playing way off in the distance.
1: Just enough to let you know, Dad. Yeah, he was still there. Uh, letting he was still me there.
0: <laughs> and, then, and then that's what he was doing. He was letting me know. He says, look what I can do. Boom. And he turned on his stereo in the middle of the night. And I'm here. And I knew he was there.
1: Did you, were you ever tempted to go downstairs and see if you could see him or communicate with him or anything? No,
0: I, I never had any idea that I would see him, but I knew he could hear me. I knew if I talked to him, and, and he would hear me.
1: You know, is there more of that story? I don't mean to cut you off. Because no, that's that's, that's pretty much, although, although
0: through the years, Austin has made himself known. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I'll feel somebody pulling on my toes. And I
1: remember you are telling me that. He yeah.
0: was always, woke up in the middle of the night like we were wrestling. I could feel, because we used to wrestle, you know. Yeah. And I could feel his body, and he was trying to take me down and wrestle me, and and I knew it was him. Is there
1: anything like that ever still happen?
0: Once in a while, I get my toes pulled.
1: Really? Still?
0: But I don't feel him around as often as I used Mm. to.
1: Because truly, you know, Dean came back in a number of ways, never as physical as that one encounter, the first one there. Uh, he never looked three-dimensionally like that again, but he came back to me in a number of ways through dreams and through through just different ways. until I finally realized that I was to write a book about all of the people he sent me who told me their stories. including me. Well, in- yes, and yeah. including you. And they would come out of the blue. I remember uh, getting on an airplane, and I was going to a workshop in, in uh, St. Charlotte. And uh, our plane, the captain said, we're going to be diverted. We're going to stop and pick up passengers who were on their way. And on, on another flight, their plane became disabled. And we've got enough room to take them on with us, so we're going to make an unscheduled landing. So they, we stopped and picked up a few people. Now all the time I fly, I never talk to the person next to me. Number one, I can't hear them half the time. It's yeah. noisy. Number two, I I hate to fly, so I try to go to sleep while we're before we ever take off. I try to go to sleep while we're on the tarmac. I don't want to have a conversation because I just want to shut my eyes. And when I open them, I'm wherever I'm going. Well. This particular time, a young man sat next to me, and he said, hello, how are you? I said, I'm fine, and I didn't encourage conversation. He said a couple of things, and then finally, he looked at me so strangely, so sweetly, so nicely, and he said, may I tell you a story? And I said, sure. And so he told me a story about his father dying, and he started crying. And he said, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I've never told another soul this. And I said, well, I'm hearing a lot of stories like this. And the message that you're telling me is that your father has never lost contact with you. And that tells me that life and love are eternal. And we kept in contact. He and his wife, he died of cancer not too long, well, a couple of years after that. But that was just a sampling of the kinds of stories that people came to me with over a period of 13 years. Yes, huh And I thought, uh, okay, I'm supposed to write a book. Uh, what do I write about? Nobody's going to believe me. I don't want to write a book and people say I'm lying or that I'm, you know, delusional. And I didn't want to, uh, I can't think of another word for it, and it's such a stupid word, but it always comes to mind. I didn't want to besmirch. I I didn't want to do something that would harm Dean's name or associate him with anything that was not true, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. It was just too precious. I I didn't want to do that to him. But anyway, I I sat down one night about 10 o'clock and just started writing, and, you know, I finished it in two weeks. And there wasn't one crossed-out word. It, It was as if it was dictated to me. But I never had any more of those encounters that I'd had for 13 years. Never did anybody come up and say, may I tell you a story just out of the blue, which as you know, because I told you, happened not just that one time, but over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, every workshop you did, you had somebody tell you a story. Uh,
1: workshops, but then on places like the plains and like that lady at the supermarket that came up and said, may I tell you a story? Yeah. And my husband walked away rolling his eyes because people kept telling me their stories. <laughs> anyway, what I, what I got out of all of that at the end of 13 years is that life is eternal, love is eternal, our loved ones never leave us, and the bond with our loved ones is absolutely unbreakable. You know, when Bill Guggenheim and his wife Judy wrote their book, Hello from Heaven, he identified, and this is seven years of research, they identified the most frequent ways that people communicate with their loved one after death. Again, we're talking about without the aid of a third party or element like a Ouija board. And I thought, Jack, it would be kind of interesting if we start with this list and we'll go through it and you tell me if you have had an encounter that matches that description. Probably, since we're going, I think this is going to run about 35 minutes, we, we won't get anywhere near the end of the list. But let's make this episode one, two, three, four, whatever it takes to get to the end of that list. Okay. Because I want people listening to stop and consider, have you been contacted by your loved one and maybe missed the clue? Maybe didn't realize it. Or you would like to be in communication, but you're afraid of it. Let's show you what the most common ways are. The first one is called alpha experience. And that is when you're, you know that state you're in when you're not quite asleep? Yes. Uh-huh. But you're not awake either. Have you had an experience like that?
0: Yes, I have. I've had half awake, half asleep experiences. Not necessarily with loved ones, but i I had a Quite a spiritual experience in Hawaii that was like that. Tell me about it. Well, uh, I, I had a chance to go to Hawaii and uh, I had read about the kahuna stones at the head of Waikiki Beach. And there are these big, huge lava rocks that had been left there by these kahuna priests from Tahiti about 600 years earlier. They had come there to the Hawaiian Islands to help heal the people, and then when they left, they left these big stones with their healing powers in them. And I was going through quite a traumatic time of life. I was attracted to an idea, and I wanted to go there and sit with those healing stones, and I wanted to be healed. And you were going through
1: a physical thing?
0: Well, no, it was, it was emotional. I had felt like I had a big hole in my heart, and I needed to be healed. So I went and to the Kahuna Stones, right at the head of Waikiki Beach. They got a big plaque on them. It gives the legend of the Kahuna's and that they left them there. and And I would meditate in the, the center of the four stones. And I did it for the whole week I was in, in Hawaii. And after five days, I had an experience where I was in that half awake, half asleep state, and I started hearing drums. I you get, were
1: in your room. You I was right in my hotel room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I was I was med- I was in a state of meditation, and I heard. These drums playing, and after a while, I I saw these four kahunas around my bed shaking their rattles. I didn't actually see them; I saw them in my mind. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a vision.
1: You were sort of asleep. But I was not sort of really asleep, asleep, but
0: not half asleep, half awake. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but it was like these four kahunas were had surrounded my bed, and they were doing their magic. They were shaking their rattles. They were playing their drums. They were healing me, and I felt like after that night, I I had been healed, which was my whole reason for meditating with those kahuna stones in the first place.
1: When you talk about kahunas, we're talking about spiritual encounters. How does that all tie into things like angels and prophets? And is it counter to spirituality or is it all part of it?
0: It's all part of it to me. Uh, Kahunas were the spiritual leaders of the Hawaiian people. And the Tahitian people and the different South Sea Islanders, they were the high priests. It's not
1: black magic or no. anything like that.
0: No, it's not. But uh, there is Kahuna magic, which is acknowledged to be quite powerful.
1: They're like saints, in a way?
0: Well, they, they were good guys. They were the good. Because according to the legend, that was they came from Tahiti in a time of crisis for the Hawaiian people, and they helped the Hawaiian people get through this crisis. So they were going through whatever it was, and help, they were helping the Hawaiian people to heal. And they spent quite a long time there. And then when they left, they put their healing powers in these kahuna stones, these large lava rocks that were in a, like, in a circle at the head of Waikiki Beach. And they had been there for a few hundred years. And there was, like I say, there was a big plaque on one rock that told you the legend of the kahunas. Mm-hmm and how they had come there to heal the Hawaiian people and then had left and left their healing powers in the stones.
1: Did you go to Hawaii specifically looking for healing with the kahunas? Or is it just you happened to be there and you heard about the legend?
0: I I, have, I got the opportunity to go to Hawaii. And then in my research about Hawaii, I read about the kahuna stones.
1: And you thought maybe this will heal the hole yes, in my heart. I did. And you feel that they really did, they felt... I did. They I, felt you reach out felt, to them. I felt
0: I had a connection with the kahunas in this trance like state that I was in.
1: Is there something else you want to say about that?
0: Well, I was going to say that was quite a powerful spiritual experience for me, and this was... And then the, that was a Friday night. The next night was Saturday night, which was the night before Easter Sunday. And I was once again meditating in my room on my bed And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes and actually I was wide awake and I saw this, I saw this being up in the corner of my room kind of elevated behind a tree. It was like, and he was wearing a white robe and he he was blonde and he had a beard and I, I didn't know who he was, but yet I did. And I remember looking at him and pointing to him and saying, I know you, I know who you are, but I didn't really know who he was at the time. And he, he appeared to me, didn't say anything. He just was there and, and I saw him for just a minute or two. That long. And then he faded away. And then when I went home, Kansas City, I had a friend who had a meta, metaphysical bookstore in Westport. And she had a lady who had just moved into town, a psychic who gave trance readings. And in this reading, she told me that I had met St. Germain on the seashore. And that gave me the name.
1: How did you know? Did you see a picture?
0: Later. After that reading, my friend who owned the bookstore, she says, I've seen that name somewhere. And she started looking through these different books that she had for sale. And she found the picture of St. Germain. And she showed me the book. She said, here, here, here's the picture of St. Germain. And it was the man that appeared to me in Hawaii, exactly.
1: Why do you think it was St. Germain? who came to, what did he do? Did he counsel you? Did his presence make you know that everything was all right? No, he
0: didn't say anything to me at all. But what I found was his teachings that had been documented and written down by Mark and Elizabeth Clare Prophet, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and before that by some people who had founded the I Am Movement in the 30s, and I found the I Am Temple in Kansas City. So I was able to go find his teachings in several books that had been published. Incidentally, in the book that I saw, his picture on the opposite page was a picture of Jesus. And so to me, this was a part of my spiritual path. I was being led Mm -hmm. along a spiritual path back to where I am today, which I was kind of came full circle back to my original path that I started out on. You lost your way. Uh, now,
1: you had lost your way. Yes, and I you definitely. You wanted to find the path back again. I definitely
0: And, and I know that's what St. Germain was there for. He was, without even saying any words to me, he was just going, okay, you see me? I'm here. And he just wanted me to know he was there. And then through the series of the reading and then the finding his picture in the book, which was just totally amazing because he was the man that I saw in Hawaii.
1: And then, through reading about him, you found out what he does and all yes, the good work what, he did. and his teachings. And so then you understood why he came to you.
0: St. Germain was, was a spiritual experience for
1: me that I will always honor and cherish. Do any of these come back to you a second time? Do they serve a purpose and then it's over? Like the Kahunas or like St. Germain. Once they've come and they do, did their work, they hear your call, they respond to it. Yes. They help you, and then they're gone. They're not there as guardian angels are no. not with you the rest of your life, you don't think?
0: No, I never saw the Cahunas again, and I had that experience of being mm. healed. Saint Germain never has he communicated with me again. To me, it was like one of those things. He was he was there to show me that okay, you're you're doing the right thing. This is the way to go. This is what you need to do.
1: So you think there is some spiritual connection between angels who respond when you're asked for help and. God or Jesus who helps us when we call out. You're yeah, they're all, you yeah,
0: they're spiritual entities like St. Germain, like I said, when I found his picture in the book, the opposite page was Jesus.
1: And yet, uh, there's a large segment of the Christian community who would disagree adamantly uh, about what we're saying.
0: Our experiences are purely subjective. They belong to us.
1: Exactly. We have
0: had them. We can't prove them to anybody.
1: Yes, isn't that true?
0: All we can do is tell people the yeah. experiences that we've had. But I feel like St. Germain led me back to Jesus that I've come full circle back to again.
1: Hmm. Uh, We could get into a whole big thing about religion here, but that isn't what we came to do. So uh -uh. we'll go back to the most common way that our deceased loved ones find to communicate with us. And the next one is called photo vision. Now I've had an experience with that. It was totally unlike seeing Dean. But it's where it, you will see something that it looks like a slide on my wall, what looked like a slide, and it was a warning.
0: Oh. Have you had that happen? No, but my brother-in-law did. What? My brother-in-law, one of his son's wife had committed suicide, and she was eight months pregnant. Oh. And he said he was driving down the street one day, and all of a sudden in his windshield there was, what you're talking about, a picture. Mm-hmm. It was his daughter-in-law in his windshield, and he pulled over to the side of the road, and she was talking to him. And she was telling him how sorry she was for committing suicide. How you know, like, to just his like Austin son, did with you, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yet here he was, her communicating with him, not her husband, not his son, but with him. Mm-hmm. I remember when he told me about this that he actually saw her face reflected in the windshield during the day.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: of his car mm-hmm. on the inside of the windshield.
1: I told you about uh, the one that I'm where I was in Kansas City and I had, uh, I had just produced a documentary for the American Bar Association. And I was to deliver it to Judge Elmer Jackson at 9 o'clock on this summer night. Uh, 9 o'clock on a summer night is still very light. It's not even sunset. Mm-hmm. And I was a little concerned because it was in an area of town I wasn't familiar with And so I actually was so concerned, I called my ex-husband. you got to be really concerned to call an (laughs) (laughs) ex-husband. And ask if he would ride over there with me. And he said he would, but, you know, ex husbands he didn't show up. Oh, boy. So anyway, the reason I was concerned is because I was in my kitchen, and I was talking to someone on the phone, and we were just hanging up. Now, my kitchen in this apartment I lived in was an interior room. There were no windows in it. It was an interior room. Oh,
0: okay.
1: My son and daughter, and at nine and 12 at that time, were in the living room. And as I'm talking, as I'm getting ready to hang up the phone, I see on my wall what looks like a slide. Wow. And it's a very clear picture of a tall, thin African American man. And it just came on for a moment, but I was so startled. I hung up the phone and I stuck my head out the door around to the living room and I said, hey kids, are you all playing with anything that would flash a picture anywhere? And they looked at me like I was crazy. First of all, they were you know on the other side of a wall and they were down to the end of the room. So there's no way it could have shown on that wall, but I was trying to find some logical explanation because how would a, a slide show on my kitchen wall. Where would it come from? Really, A very clear picture. So that's when I called the ex-husband and said, would you ride over with me uh, this evening? And he said yes, and then he didn't show up and I had to leave. Well, I delivered the documentary and I left Judge Elmer Jackson's home. I was parked across the street from the house. As I walked to the car, I had the window rolled out because it was summer and I didn't have an air conditioner in the car. As I put my hand on the door handle, somebody grabbed me by my shoulder, just clamped their hand over my shoulder, and spun me around. And when they did, I'm face-to-face with this man I had seen on my kitchen wall that morning. I wasn't afraid because I recognized him. I uh-huh. didn't really have time to think about being afraid. It was like, oh, that's that guy I saw on my wall. So anyway, he said, give me all your money. And it just happens that I had stopped by the bank and I had cashed a $300 check.
0: Oh, my. But because
1: I was driving, I didn't really want to stop and take time to divide everything up. And there was some change yeah. or a 26 cents change. So I put the change in, in a little clip coin purse, which is easy to get into with one hand while I'm driving. But I just kept the bills down on the floor of the purse. I didn't have time to put them in my billfold. So now this fellow is saying, give me all your money. And I said, why? <laughs> <laughs> that seemed logical. Why? Why would yeah. I do that? And he said, uh, 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 because I've had an emergency. And I said, well, for heaven's sakes, well, let's see what I've got. And I opened Did he have a weapon? No. Oh, no. Okay. He was just,
0: no. <laughs> he was just saying, give it, give it. Give, give me, me all me, give your, money.
1: your money. So it weighs a lot bigger than me, taller, certainly. Anyway, I opened my purse, and uh, I pulled out the change purse, the coin purse, and it had a quarter and a penny in it, 26 cents. And I said, oh, look at this, honey, 26 cents. It isn't much, but you're welcome to it. And he said, that's all the money you got? And I said, yes, but you can have it, hon. And so I you know, handed it out in, in the palm of my hand and he did take it out of the palm of my hand, but he's looking at me like he doesn't quite know what to do next because this isn't going right. Yeah. And I'm still not afraid. I'm just going, that's a guy I saw this morning. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Anyway, he stepped back enough, just took a step back, still trying to figure things out, that I was able to open my door and I got in. Well, I, by that point I had the keys in my hand and before i could get them in the ignition he thrust his hands through the open window and he grabbed me by my throat and he shook me really hard but throttled me is what he did wow he said i said give me all the money you got and i said putting my hand on his so he'll stop throttling me i said well i did honey but i tell you what what is it you need to do he said i need to get out of town i've had an emergency i told you And he still was looking like, man, this is all screwed up, you know. (laughs) But I said, well, I tell you what, dear. You see the house across the way? There is a wonderful man, a judge, who lives there. I want you to go and knock on the door and tell him you're a friend of Esther's and that you've had an emergency and you need to leave town, and could he loan you some money? And he stopped and took his hands away from my throat, and he looked back at the house, and he said, up there? And I said, yes, uh uh-huh. Tell him you're a friend of Esther's and, and you've had an emergency. He said, oh, uh, uh, okay. Well, by then I had the key in the ignition. Right. And I smiled and I waved and I pulled away. Yeah. The last thing, this is so funny because it's like a scene out of a movie. As I pulled away, I looked in the rear view mirror and he was literally standing in the middle of the street watching me and scratching his head. Uh, <laughs> and he was oh like, my. what went wrong there? That just wasn't yeah. the way it was supposed to go. The funny thing is I wasn't afraid because I was so preoccupied with isn't this odd it's the man I saw. Uh, The next block was a park and if you turn to the right at the end of of that block where the park was there were a row of uh, hedges that were maybe six seven feet high and it went all across that whole end and as soon as I turned there I pulled to the curb and stopped and I was shaking so hard I could hardly drive but I think I was divinely protected.
0: Sounds like it, yeah. But
1: I don't know who.
0: And you were forewarned.
1: Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't afraid because I was so preoccupied by thinking, I've seen you before. Well, you know, the third way, according to Bill and Judy Guggenheim, is a spirited reunion, and that's where I, you.
0: Well, I I have a spiritual account. I'm well, let me explain that. what that is, sure. so the listener okay, knows.
1: Ahead. This is where you actually. I would say that seeing Dean with Andy fills that bill. Yeah. Because they look absolutely real, and what were you going to say? I'm sorry.
0: Well, you're talking about being divinely protected. I used to meditate uh, in this little park in Kansas City. It was a. Uh, where there's a there's a replica of the Arch De Triomphe. Uh-huh. It's on this hill along the lower bottoms and I and I used to love to go up there. For a long time they didn't have a fence around it so I would if you sit in the middle of this arch I'd play my flute and it would echo and it was wonderful. After a while they put in floodlights and they put in fence and you couldn't get in there but I would go up there and meditate foolishly at three o'clock in the morning and I was I would sit up against a tree and I would meditate and one night I was up there, and there was these two guys. They came walking up, and it was there was this big walkway went all the way around this replica of the Archduke Triumph. So they they walked around this, and they went and said, way across on the other side of the little park that I was sitting in. You know, I was sitting there with my eyes closed, meditating.
1: How'd you see them then?
0: I glanced at them you oh. know, when they when they came. They were walking over there, and. As I was sitting there up against this tree, a voice spoke inside my head. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was, it was a spiritual encounter of a real voice Mm -hmm. speaking inside my head
1: Mm.
0: and said, These men mean to do you harm.
2: Mm.
0: You need to stand up slowly and you need to walk because there was a little parking lot down below Uh uh and it's quite a long sidewalk to get down to and you need to walk slowly down to your car and you need to leave but Uh don't act like you're in a hurry don't act like you're panicked or anything Uh and that's so that's what i did i just stood up and i just went walking down the sidewalk and i was like strolling along and i went in and i got in my car and i left and the very next day this psychic friend, Mary, who had told me of the vision of St. Germain. Mm-hmm. I talked to her on the phone and she goes, oh, I'm so glad that that you're okay. She said, I had this horrible dream and this horrible vision that I was walking along the sidewalk and I saw your face on the sidewalk and it was all in slices. Oh,
1: amen. my gosh. And I
0: told her about my encounter with those two guys and she said, they meant to kill you. And, and I was so grateful and thankful.
1: But that was sound, that's audio. It
0: was audio in my head.
1: Yeah, because that's one of the um, one of the ones we're going to come to a little bit later. Yeah. We're going to have to wrap it up right now. I okay. want to tell you, can, can we do episode two, three, four, until we cover all of sure. these? Here are the most common ways the loved ones communicate with you. We just did the Alpha experience. We did the photo vision we did the spirited reunion. Scent and sensation, and that's when there's a fragrance or a touch. A dream. This is the kind of dream that is so real that when you wake up, you know it really happened. It could not have been just a dream. And
0: they call that lucid dreaming as a matter of fact.
1: Yes. Then there are signs and symbols. And this is when you're going to see a butterfly, you're going to see, a, a, a common ones are rainbows and butterflies, but there are many, many other ways too. There are things that are called out-of-body visits, and that's where you're not asleep, but your loved one has taken you somewhere to see something they want you to know. And then audio, like you were just uh, talking about, and, and I have a couple of those myself, Electronic communication, Patrick McGranahan has a wonderful story about his 13-year-old daughter Elizabeth uh-huh. and how she communicated with him, yeah. and Patrick is not anybody who is the least bit woo-woo-woo-ish. This is a very level-headed financial advisor who has, has no patience with anything the least bit phony. The last one is, uh, well, there are two more. There's protection, and that's when you are protected by a specific loved one, not just the angels or not just a spiritual encounter, but a loved one mm-hmm. actually yes. is there. And the last one is intuition. What I want to say in closing is, is that if you don't take anything else away with you after what you've heard us talk about, take away this. That the only thing that's real is what we can't see. And then I want you to consider that paranormal is perfectly normal. Paranormal, I believe, happens to everybody but not everybody accepts it or even admits it or knows it. Well,
0: there are TV shows about that. There's one I really love on the Travel Channel called Paranormal Caught on Camera that people have photographed.
1: I think today, again, here we all are getting to a place, though, where we're so skeptical of anything because we know that there's Photoshop. We know what can be done with special effects. And this is why I say, if you've had an encounter, I'm talking to the listener now, if you've had an encounter of your own, and you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want them to think you're nuts, or you don't want to be called a liar, all the things that went through my mind before I decided to share what I've really experienced. If you've had those, remember, there must be a reason. And the reason might be, because there are people out there who need the reassurance. They need to know that life and love are eternal. And if you've experienced anything that says that, then you've been given a divine assignment, and that is to share that knowledge with others. But I say do it with discretion. Jack was hesitant to share a story with me about uh, Saint Germain because, as he said to me, that was very spiritual. It was very dear. It was not to be bandied around like a party story. And, and I encouraged him to go ahead and tell you, because I don't think you would stick with us this, this long if you weren't sincerely interested in knowing what is spiritual. I encourage you to tell your own stories. So this is it. Goodbye, Jack. I will see you on Episode 2 of Bye-bye. Spiritual Encounters. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye.
2: The Voice of Halona presents Spiritual Encounters, made possible by the Forgiveness Foundation International, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the support of all aspects of forgiveness among families, communities, businesses, and personal relationships. Visit their website at www.forgivenessfoundationinternational.com and be sure to read Helping Children and Teens Forgive, by the founder of the Forgiveness Foundation, Dr. Jim Kelsey. Spiritual Encounters was produced by Esther Luttrell. Jack Diamond of internet radio station WREN was co-host. The Voice of Halona theme was composed and performed by David Fezlian of Fezlian Studios. We invite you to read Esther's books, Evidence of God and Dear Dean, Love, Mom, wherever ebooks are sold, in print through Amazon Books or... Enjoy listening to them right here on Mojave Beach Productions. Till next time, this is Jeff Evans wishing you the very best of everything life has to offer. Mojave
1: Beach Productions. I just want to take a moment to thank you for soaring with us on the wings of imagination as you listen to stories we're having so much fun creating for you. If you enjoy what you hear, take a moment to subscribe to Mojave Beach Productions on your favorite podcast app. And thanks a million.